My name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, I want to um, read a passage from uh, Ephesians 4. As we've been walking our way through uh, the book of Ephesians here in our Being Church sermon series. Uh, I want to invite you to stand, if you're able, wherever you are, to reverence the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's not the way you learned Christ, for surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us as Andrea comes. God, I pray that as we hear the words from your scripture, as it washes over us, as it washes over our ears and into our souls, God, I pray that we would not just be hearers of this word, but doers of it. God, I pray that you would show us what it means to be marked out, to be a holy people, a different people, a unique people who have put off the old ways and put on the ways of Christ. God, I pray that we would do that not under our own strength or power, but by the power of the Spirit of God that lives and dwells in us. God, I pray that you would speak to us through Andrea as she comes to open your word. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, church. I miss you. I am so thankful for technology. I'm so thankful for the way that this community continues to care for one another. I want to give a special shout out to my small group, Women of Color. Woo woo. Um, small groups have begun a new semester together. We're all virtual, so please check one out. You can find the link in the chats and all that fun stuff. Um, it feels ironic that we're not able to meet in this pre-planned series on what it means to be the church, but I think in a lot of ways we're still asking the right question. What does it mean to be the church all the time, and what does it mean to be the church especially right now? So in our Being Church series, we're walking through the letter to the Ephesians. We're looking at the role of the church, 
what the church looks like. We've explored the call of the church to difference and diversity, and last week we talked about the mission of the church. Today, we're looking at the church as a community of holiness. So the word holiness might have some specific connotations or maybe associations for you. For me, I associate being holy, I think, with being a rule follower, or I associate it with the phrase holier than thou. Maybe that's similar for you. Or maybe you think of rigid religion or guilt trips, or maybe you think of specific traditions. There's a lot that holiness has been made into, um, but today we're going to be looking at what holiness meant for the church in Ephesus and then what it means for us today as we continue to explore what it means to be the church. So as I've looked at the text this week and thought about what holiness means for the church, I thought it might be helpful to start with what holiness is not. So what holiness is not. Holiness is not a set of particular rules to like be checked off that's universal for everyone. Holiness is not engaging in particular behaviors in order to earn some kind of merit. Holiness is not rigid legalism. To frame it that way can be really dangerous and comes up against the significance of our freedom in Christ. I think that understanding holiness, what it is, or its implications for us, I think it begins with identity. So Ephesians, which is the book that we've been in, is a letter that was written to a new community of believers. And as we've seen over the past several weeks of study, it's, it's helping them to construct their new identity as the church. And as we've walked through the letter too, we're finding out what our identity is, who we are. So in the first three chapters, we, along with the Ephesians, are asked to recall what Christ has done what it means for who we are. In these chapters, we're identified as the church, which is the working body of Jesus. We're reminded that we were dead, but now we're alive, that the life we are offered is a gift. We're taught that God is creating one new humanity out of many, that God is reconciling people to God's self and that God is proclaiming peace. And we've read that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but now we're citizens of the kingdom and we're members of God's household and that the church is a dwelling place for God. The first week of the series, we explored our calling as a community, our calling. This week's scripture begins by appealing to that call. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We are God's people, God's church. We're a visible manifestation of God's spirit and movement, and we're called to live into this identity. Since we're God's, it's right that we take on the characteristics of God, and so our lives are marked by who God is. Holiness, then, is the distinct, visible mark of our identity as God's people and God's church. There's a popular verse about holiness. It's found in Leviticus 19, and it's repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1, where God says to God's people, you shall be holy because I am holy. 
The people of God will be distinct because they are God's. We belong to God, we are near to God, and we take on God's distinct nature. It's like taking on God's aroma, God's smell. So I'm a smell person. I'm particularly sensitive to smells. When my kids were little, um, my family used to joke that I could smell a dirty diaper two floors away because I could. Right now, I live in a 100-year-old apartment with my family. It has kind of poor ventilation. So on nights where we cook something that's particularly strong with garlic or something like that, I often will have to change my clothes after dinner because the smells just like all over me. I smell like dinner. And if you came to my house on any of those nights, even if you didn't cook with me, and even if you didn't eat my dinner, you would still smell like the food too because you've been with me, because you had been near it. You would take on its smell. In one of the commentaries that I read this week, they described holiness as the good smell of Christ. And they described the church as a living invitation for others to smell, see, and taste that the Lord is good. We display holiness through actions that identify us as God's people. Holiness is how we are recognized as the people of God. To be holy then, as individuals and as a church, is to be identified by the life of God and God's characteristics in us. The church as a community of holiness is distinct. We are distinct. Scripture relates holiness to being set apart, being consecrated, being markedly different from the world. The letter to the Ephesians makes these really specific contrasts of holy living with other ways of living. So chapter 4, verse 17, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They live in darkened understanding. They live in ignorance. They live in hardness of heart. Chapter 4, verse 22 says that we're to put away our former way of life. And this verse contrasts the old self we are to put off and the new self that we are to put on. Chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. To be holy is to be distinct. It's to be marked as different from the pervading culture. And we display holiness through lives that identify us as God's people. I think holiness has been isolated to refer only to behavior, but that's not complete. Holiness is not just about behavior. Holiness also encompasses the why, why we behave the way we behave, why we value what we value, why we live the way we live. Changing behaviors without transformation is legalism. And then conversely, inner transformation without corresponding action is not true transformation. As it says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. So how then do we know what holy living is without legalistic 
rule following. This is the question. So Ephesians does lay out some rules. One of the headings in my Bible in this chapter is actually called rules for the new life. But I think even within this section, um, it's not the rules that we're meant to focus on. The characteristics of holy living defined in these rules are what are important. So there are three particular characteristics of holy living that I think stand out in this passage. So I want to walk through those this morning. So first, holy living is unifying. Holy living is unifying. Chapter 4, verse 1 exhorts us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We are to be holy. It's a different kind of life. Our lives are meant to be distinct. This verse, though, continues with how we ought to do that. We ought to do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And the purpose of that is that we maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Holy living has been massively individualized, I think, in our culture. But it's so interesting that we see here that holy living has everything to do with the church, with others, with community. The pursuit of holiness is not individual. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and love, those things are all practiced in community with other people. And the purpose is unity. We talked about unity already in this series, how it's not uniformity. Holiness is not cultivated within sameness. We're called to be able to be challenged by the diversity of the body and bear those differences in truth and in love. Holy living is unifying. Holy living is also reconciling. It's reconciling. Chapter 4, verse 17 describes our separation from God. This is what it says. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. So in this old way of living, we were alienated from God. But now... In the new life we're offered, we are invited to be imitators of God as beloved children. We are no longer alienated from the life of God. So when we're marked by holiness, our posture is towards God and towards other people. So in the section that my Bible calls rules for the new life, there's this list of behaviors. But we see that these behaviors turn us towards one another and they spring up from our posture towards God. So let's read them. This is chapter 4, verse 25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. 
Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And there's another little set of rules um, that's in chapter five. We'll start in verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourself, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So holy living is reconciling. When we are participating in holy living, we are turning towards God and we're turning towards other people in a reconciling way. So lastly, holy living is transforming. The contrast we've seen in this passage between the old and the new, um, there's contrast between dark and light. We have been transformed. There's a change and we are continually being transformed. The list of rules we just read marked transformation. So in holiness, we go from socially destructive behavior to constructive, from tearing down to building up. Lies become truth. Anger becomes fruitful. Stealing becomes stewardship. Words are no longer used as weapons, but they're offered as gifts. Division becomes unity. Arrogance becomes humility. Ignorance becomes awareness, folly becomes wisdom, darkness becomes light, songs over spirits become songs to the spirit, self-indulgence becomes gratitude. Holiness is transforming. These are the standards of holiness that we should measure ourselves by. Are our actions unifying? Are they reconciling? Are our actions indicative of transformation? This is a challenge to us today, church. This is a challenge to us as a community called to holiness. What are the defining marks of your life? What are the the defining marks of our church? What should the marks be? What do we smell like? Are we marked by God's character? Are we a community of holiness? We are marked by holiness when we call out darkness by our words and by our actions when we point to the ways that true life in God is exchanged for this like faux half-life. We're marked by holiness when we put the interests of others ahead of our own interests when we walk in the steps of Jesus, when we lay down our privilege, when we lay down our status for the sake of someone else. 
We're marked by holiness when we name injustice plainly, when we lament inequality in all of its forms, when we admit to our own biases, when we admit to our own missteps. We're marked by holiness when we call one another in instead of calling one another out, when our posture is towards truth and reconciliation and unity. We're marked by holiness when we proclaim the kingdom of God, when we intentionally name where we see the kingdom expanding, when we proclaim God's good, good gospel in the world with our words and with our lives. I love the way that the message interprets um, chapter 4, verse 24. This is what it says. Take on an entirely new way of life a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces God's character in you. God is producing God's own character in us. And as we take on God's character, holiness is the result. Church, I want to appeal to you with the words from this letter to the Ephesians. I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What of the old life do you need to put off? What of the new life do you need to put on? And I know this is hard. I, I know this is hard, particularly given the season that we're living in right now. Just feel like we're surrounded by tragedy, we're in the middle of isolation and this massive amount of uncertainty. But still, it's right for me to say to you, church, as was written to the Ephesians, this is chapter five, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. Live as children of light. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. Live as children of light. The church as a community of holiness is meant to be a foretaste of the kingdom, a signpost. We're meant to bear witness to the world with our aroma. This is chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As a community called to holiness, this is my prayer for us, and let it be so. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful that you invite us into your very life, that you invite us to take on your nature, to take on your character. And we also admit to you, God, that this is difficult and we don't know how to do that most of the time. We ask God that as we continue to seek you, to study scripture, um, to talk together, to learn together about what it means to be your church, that you would be cultivating holiness in us. I ask that you tear down the ways that we have made holiness into this 
um, standard by which we feel like we can earn our way to you or just become good people. Um, I ask God that you would transform your church, that we would take on your character, that we would be recognized as people who love you, who follow you, and who are near to you. And we know that you are near to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.